Hey everyone, welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. This week, our guest is Jason Gerald, founder of Phoenix Handlebars and business development manager for Motorcycle Industry Jobs. This episode of Pit Pass Moto is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike Racing and is North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and revisit all the action with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. To view the complete 2023 Moto America race schedule, head over to MotoAmerica.com and be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real-time series updates. Welcome to episode 150, everyone. This is our final show of 2022, and uh, we'd like to wish everybody happy holidays. Give everybody a big thanks to everyone who's listened and supported this show this year. We really appreciate it. Uh, Dave and I will be on break after this episode, and we'll be back with our first 2023 episode on January 12th. So uh, stay tuned and look for us then. And uh, again, uh, have a great Happy New Year. Wish everybody uh, all the best going into 2023. Well, Dave, all access this week. Some big news that I saw breaking, well, it seemed to be dominating all the news this week, was the Triumph entering Super Motocross in 2024. We finally heard some more big details about this. Um, I think there's just kind of like the Stark Varg, you know, it's it's a little bit of a mysterious project at the moment. We're all wondering when we're going to see a motorcycle, but it's exciting because they they announced uh, some of the additions to their technical team. We've got uh, Bobby Hewitt, former Rockstar Husqvarna team manager, joining Triumph as the, let's see, I think he's going to be the team principal. And then we've got Stephen Westfall, who's uh, also known as Scuba Steve. That's his nickname. He'll be the factory team manager, and he'll be alongside Ricky Carmichael. And then they also added some other technical people, Dave Arnold, who's the lead chassis engineer, and Dudley Craman, who's lead powertrain engineer. So they're really building this like powerhouse team at Triumph. They're saying it's their own original motorcycle. And so I'm excited to see. You know, I mean, it's going to be, yeah, we've got a year to wait. Uh, they'll be lining up with three 250 riders for the first year in 2024, and then they'll add a 450 rider in 2025. So, what do you think, Dave? Like, what were your thoughts on all these announcements? Did you get the you watch a few of the videos of uh, you know them explaining? Yeah, I did, and it's uh, it's exciting to see that they put some names behind the effort, so that we've got some idea, you know, where this is headed. They started this back in 21 when they kind of announced it with Ricky Carmichael at the time and uh, Ivan Cervantes. He's the off-road rider that we're going to help develop the bike, but uh, it's got a little more substance behind it. So. Uh, Still haven't seen wheels in a frame, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of risk when you when you announce something that big and uh, come out and try to design a new motorcycle to compete at that level. I think uh, they've really got their hands full, and uh, I hate to say it, but they've got to avoid being compared to Cannondale because <laughs> uh, we all kind of know how that turned out in the end, and it brought an entire company down. So I don't think that's necessarily where Triumph is headed, but uh, that's that's what I think a lot of people will try to draw parallels to as uh, as they roll this program out. But uh, when once we see a motorcycle, I think they're saying in June we're going to see uh, an actual motorcycle. I can't wait to see it. I'm, and they're saying it has its own unique identity because I think the first thing people think of is they default to oh another KTM looking bike because we've you know we've seen it with the KTM group and the Husqvarna's, the Gas Gas, the KTM's all look like the same motorcycle. And so I think a lot of people thought yeah they're, it's just going to be another KTM. But they're saying it's its own look, and Ricky Carmichael said he's ridden the bike, and so I'm excited to see you know what they actually roll out because to me I'm like thinking like what is it that's going to be different about it? You know, is it going to be the way the shrouds look? Because like I feel like all the bikes these days they're, they're starting to kind of somewhat look the same in a lot of ways, and so will it be something completely different or not? So that that's the big question mark for me. Yeah, and if you believe the message boards, which is an easy trap to fall into and go down the, <laughs> you know, the spider hole, but they're claiming it's going to be somewhat of a unique frame design over what we traditionally see on motorcycles, which to me, from a technical side, uh, 
kind of excites me because I think a lot of it's become, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but they're all very similar except for the Austrian brands, which are all also all very similar. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of turn left, you know, and, and do something really unique there Yep. because the rest of the motorcycle, I think is got to be pretty standard other than maybe they turn the engine around a la Yamaha, which I think, uh, may be difficult to do due to some, uh, patents that are in place or some IP that uh, they can't violate. So that part of it, I think once we see the actual motorcycle be interesting to me, uh, is really what they do with the frame and what they do with the engine positioning. Yeah. Well, one thing that's for certain is like these projects always seem to take way longer than they should, but that's just part of the process. And one thing that really struck a chord with me, and I think it was Jeremy Appleton, the uh, you know the team manager, said that they were not, it might have been Ricky Carmichael too, but they're not in a hurry to bring this to market, meaning they're not trying to go as fast as they can to get this motorcycle out there. They want to make sure everything is right along the way, which I think is admirable, but it's tough when you've got a whole other year still before you start racing. But I guess that year will probably go by pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's maybe taken a lesson from the Cannondale handbook, which was, you know, they did so many little things wrong that added up to a lot. And uh, even when they knew they should have taken another route, they still went the wrong direction and ended up failing. So we don't want to see it fail. I want to see another brand in in motorcycle racing, a, a storied brand, one that's been around for such a long time. And you know, in the early years of scramble racing as it came out of England, which is really kind of how a lot of that began, it was a lot of Triumph motorcycles out on the track. So it'll be kind of neat to see that come full circle eventually. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the brand for sure. I have a Triumph T120 myself and I just, their marketing to me is like, I'm a huge fan of their marketing. They're they're on it as far as, you know, the video production and just, just everything they do. When they roll out a new model, it's always pretty dramatic. You know, they've done collaborations with some of the James Bond films, you know I mean? So they're really doing a lot of cutting edge stuff. But one question I have, though, I've already started to think about with this announcement is, who will they sign? You know, who will their 250 riders and who will their 450 rider, more important? I have a guess. My opinion is there's that Jason Anderson, Bobby Hewitt connection from back in the day. I have a feeling that, you know, there's a possibility that by the time we get to 2025, the timing might be perfect. We could see Jason Anderson be their first 450 rider. Pure speculation, but that would be one of my my guesses. And then maybe even we could see somebody like Osborne a couple years down the road on the off-road side ride for Triumph. So those are a couple of my guesses. I don't know what you think, Dave, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. So kind of putting that old rock star energy uh, group back together. And yeah. You see these things happen and they tend to pull on people that they knew from their past. So those are known quantities for a guy like Bobby Hewitt. He goes to a rider, he knows his tendencies, knows what he's like to work with. So it makes sense on paper. And uh, I guess that's kind of really putting the cart way before the horse. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think that 2024 season, which is going to get here sooner on the 250s, who do they go after? Do they bring in just young riders to help develop the bikes? Or they go to an experienced rider to try to get the most out of it? So that's number one is get on the racetrack. Can you get the thing working? Is it going to operate exactly like you planned? What do you got to change? You know, you've got a good crew to kind of build that uh, foundation but then who takes it to the next level on the racetrack, I guess, is still to be determined. And, you know, next year's silly season, I'm already looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, sometime after what uh, we say end of October, we can start talking about, okay, who's riding for Triumph next year? It's to the point now where I think silly season is about to become year round here at this point with more OEMs entering and more series, you know, like World Supercross. And so so we're talking about predictions there, like I was you know, mentioning my predictions for who would ride for the Triumph team, but I thought we would maybe pick out a few of our you know, top three. I've got a couple different segments. Uh, your predictions for 2023, your top three predictions of things you know, that could happen in the industry in general, and then your favorite episodes of 2022 from our show. Sounds good. Okay. I'm going to start out with the predictions here. So these are my top three predictions for... 2023 as to things that could happen in the industry. So my first one is uh, World Supercross. With World Supercross entering the fray and kind of pushing the U.S. to end up creating this Super Motocross series, I feel like 2023 is going to be one of the biggest changes in decades we've seen for the sport of Supercross and Motocross. So that's going to be, I think, that's probably my number one prediction. I think that's going to be a huge change going forward. And then my second one is the electrification, the Stark Varg, 
you know, supposedly they're, they're, they're shipping. You know, we keep seeing these dates getting pushed further and further back, but supposedly it is happening in 2023. And I feel like when we start seeing these Stark Vargs showing up at the local tracks and the, the local trail riding areas, then we're really going to see a transformation in the electrification of power sports. So that, that's my personal opinion. I feel like until we really start seeing those showing up, it's probably, I don't know, to me, it still doesn't feel like it's happening yet. So that's my second one. And my third prediction is this trend, and we talked a little bit about it quite a few times this year, Dave, but this trend of performance groups, and I'll use uh, Vista Outdoors and Arrowhead as examples. Uh, will this trend continue? And I think it's going to keep continuing where these power sports industry companies get purchased. We have these performance groups that are you know, kind of consolidating brands together in one group and becoming sort of these super groups. And I don't think that's going to change going forward. And we're just going to see more of it. Unfortunately, that's my personal opinion, but I think we're going to see more of it in 2023. What about you, Dave? What do you think? Oh, those are good predictions and probably not far off on a lot of them. So uh, let me go down my top three here. So I see for 2023, my biggest prediction is a return of Honda to the championship status in the premier class of racing, at least in the U.S. Well, that's a good one. Uh, they've already been on top of the world. They've set the stage. They put the players in place. The riders are top caliber. I see Sexton leading the series this year. I see the Lawrence brothers coming into their own and they've got nowhere to go but up, and they're just going to kill it. I think Honda is going to become that premier top brand. That's my prediction for 2023. Good one. Yeah, my second one. I see electronics moving further into the motorcycle. I see possibly experimentation with active suspension. That's an area where they've kind of let, left electronics out of motorcycles for the most part. There's a few brands where that's an exception. But because they can control so much more with electronics, I, I kind of see that moving that direction. That's the next plateau, I guess, I think, in, is uh, taking electronics further. And my last one is actually right in line with yours, Dale. <laughs> Big money and private equity groups further kind of killing off the smaller players in, the, in power sports. You know, that's kind of like the Amazons and Walmarts. The bigger getting bigger. And uh, I, I see a recession looming. And I think that's going to shake the monkey tree and the weaker companies are going to suffer. And it kind of feels like 2008 all over again. So kind of squaring with your prediction that, uh, you know, these these big money groups coming in and buying up all these companies and creating these super companies, kind of see it happening some more. So I'm not uh, I'm not far off on that prediction either. On the flip side of that, if you're a company that the company that gets bought, maybe it's not such a bad thing, but <laughs> you could go retire. Yeah, it depends but, on who uh, you are in that company, right? If you're the owner, yeah. like say you're the owner of a small handlebar company in the Midwest and you sell to a huge corporation and you cash out, that may not be a bad thing. Yeah. And then you maybe turn around and start another deal. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's sure looking that way. It's sure feeling that way. And in some ways, it kind of kind of makes me sad because I, I like the entrepreneurial base of our industry. But um I understand why it happens. Yeah, I like the mom and pop aspect of it too. You know, like we've worked for some companies like like Weiss goes such a perfect example, you know, like this just great people that own the company and that you, you know, looked up to and worked for. And so it's just, you know, the same thing I've had. And so seeing that, it's 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 a little bit shocking, you know, when I've worked in the industry and it's been more, you know, family businesses that I've worked for. And so yeah, when they have a board, it's a it's a different world. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And justifying everything you need to do is difficult. I understand why they do it, because they've got uh, their debtors to serve. But um, I prefer the more hands-on grassroots world of our power sports world. And uh, it's just to me, it, it hits home more. And I guess that this, it may have to do with my where I'm at in my career. As far as my career arc goes, I'm on the downslope, hopefully. <laughs> I don't plan to do this till I'm 87. <laughs> I'd like to not have to. So uh, I, I could see that happening in, in our industry as it has happened in others. And part of me says it's somewhat of a maturing of the power sports industry. It's becoming more professional. It's becoming bigger, like, say, the automotive industry, which is huge and extremely professional and extremely well populated with companies like that. So I could see power sports kind of heading in that direction. For sure. Well, um, to wrap up this last all access of 2022, here are my top three episodes. And I think you even said this day before we came on, like, it's hard to choose. I really enjoyed, you know, all of our guests that we've had on this year on 2022. But if I had to pick the top three, these are the three that I came up with uh, on the podium. So third place for me is Skylar Howes. And Skylar Howes is just one of those guys that I think he's just super down to earth. 
He's fun, honest, transparent when you interview him. He's got great stories. And he just has a good story. I mean, the guy practically sold everything he owned so that he could go to Dakar and hope that he got a factory ride. And he ended up landing the factory ride and, and, and getting it, you know, making it happen. And so I really enjoyed that interview. I always enjoy talking with him. And he's just an open book. So third place was Skylar House. Uh, second place would be Robbie Peterson. Robbie Peterson is a guy I didn't know much about until, you know, we had him on the show. And what a fascinating guy. You know, coming from South Africa, growing up there, coming to the States uh, with his son now, Cam Peterson, who races in Moto America. I think we could have filled three to four episodes, Dave, with uh, his stories. No doubt. He's my second place guy. Number one, though, and this one surprised me so much. I was even telling my wife about this when I was coming up with this list. Mark Miracle, uh, the chaplain for Moto America. That was, to me, was the most just refreshing interview. I learned so much from him. It opened my eyes to the importance of what he does. You know, he's just not there just proselytizing religion. He's there supporting the racers through hard times and good times and bad times. And so I just really had a tremendous amount of respect after after that, you know, interview with him. And, you know, he even, he got emotional. You know, he didn't feel the slightest bit embarrassed, you know, sharing and feeling, you know, his feeling emotions. And so I just had nothing but respect for Mark. And uh, he's my, he was my favorite uh, guest of 2022. How about you, Dave? Yeah, it was a good choice, Dale. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I agree with you. I was equally surprised at how that interview went and how Mark opened up to us and shared his story. Actually, all three of your choices are great choices. It's <laughs> it's tough when I look back at the so year. It's tough, yeah. It really is. Everybody was a genuine pleasure to talk to, and try to pick top three is like trying to pick your favorite child, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's just not it's just not possible. But um, all that being said, uh, my number three was Kayla Yakov. I enjoy talking to young up-and-coming racers and getting their perspective on racing and things. But Kayla, she was impressive as hell. Just the way she presented herself, the way she told her story, the way she shared her thoughts on the sport was just she was polished and professional. And I think all young racers should listen to Kayla and do what Kayla does because she she gets it and she understands how to do it. And to me, her future's huge. Now, on top of all of that, she's extremely fast, yeah. extremely talented. Yep. And when we talk to other racers, they all mention Kayla. Yep. So, you know, that to me kind of sets the tone for her story. Just really enjoyed talking to her. And I look forward to this next year when she does some more uh, racing. And then my my number two on the, on the podium was Matt Burkeen. He was such a neat guy to talk to. Just intriguing, the consummate, upbeat guy. And he just reminds me of that old school jump in your pickup truck, go racing professional from back in the day. Yeah. And as simple as that sounds, he's got great moto skills and he's just somewhat of a throwback. And uh, I, I think the sport needs more Matt Burkeens to kind of help grow it because there's not many guys that are kind of wired like he is. Racers going to race. That's what he always keeps saying. That's right. <laughs> and last but not least, number one on my list, because these are not only uh, great interviews and, and with great stories, but uh, kind of friends of mine from the industry. And I have known these guys a long time and I, and I really respect them. Jeff Bailey and Wes Orloff. Now that's two interviews separately, but uh, let me kind of tie that together because they're competing against each other in that bagger series in road racing, but doing it from the opposite ends. One's from Team Harley, one's from Team SNS. <laughs> and to hear both of those guys tell their story from their perspective, I just really enjoyed that rivalry that isn't really a rivalry because they're still friends at the same time. And they're living the dream. Both these guys are, are racers, gearheads, hardcore motorcyclists, and they hold key positions in major companies in our sport. They're movers and shakers. And for them to come on and share their story in the way they did, I thought was great. So sorry I put two guys on, on my number one list, but there's a reason why I did that. Well, that's a great explanation, though. We've had so many great guests, and we, we've enjoyed all of them. And yeah, I just can't wait to see uh, who we get on next year. You know, like it's get even more guests on. And I guess if our listeners out there have some ideas for people they want to hear about, let us know. So looking forward to having more of these awesome guests in 2023. We're happy to welcome the founder of Phoenix Handlebars and the business development manager for motorcycle industry jobs, Jason Gerald. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto. How's life treating you? How's business with Phoenix Handlebars and MIJ? Thanks a lot for letting me come on. Be able to be part of you guys' awesome show. 
life is good because all my world revolves around motorcycles slash power sports, but I always say motorcycles. I have very little to complain about, guys. Well, what's that? So what, what are things like these days? Like, obviously, it's holiday seasons. Probably you're probably pulling parts and shipping orders. You know, what's what's it look like uh, an average day for Jason Gerald at Phoenix Handlebars and motorcycle industry jobs? Because you split your time, you know, somewhat between those two. What's a normal day look like? Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix Handlebars being still like under five years old, it's still growing. And I will pat myself on the back for thinking like, it's been pretty awesome to be at least in the conversation of like those elite brands that are up there. Pretty proud of that fact. So that part's really awesome. And we've stayed pretty consistent and I'm always like designing, doing orders and uh motorcycle industry jobs is, is also, it's one of those where it's just, it's a never ending every day is whether it's employers like posting jobs, looking for help, looking for advice. I'm not a recruiter, so I don't have to deal so much on the job seeker side, but our industry is, as we all know, is, is relatively small. So a lot of people do like reach out to me and ask for help and like, hey, what do you know about this job and stuff like that? So I obviously try to help when I can, where I can. So, so it keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. I mean, you're the type of guy that, you know, having known you now for a couple of years, I feel like you're, you're one of those people that gives back a lot. Like you're, you're always looking at the big picture. How can you help? grow power sports in general because it's it's your passion stuff like these videos you're doing for a while that you're putting out that were just you know out enjoying motorcycling with your son and you've kind of pulled that into your phoenix handlebars brand and i I just think you're doing a really good job of building that brand in just a organic way i guess for for lack of a better word to describe it but um let's talk about that phoenix handlebars though like how did this idea come about because obviously like i look back at your past you have quite a few jobs in the industry you know, jobs like Hammerhead Designs, which is hard parts, MSR hard parts. Like to me, that sort of set you up for this, you know, creation of this brand. But I'm curious to know more about that story, like how how the whole thing came about with Phoenix Handlebars. Well, we're both Midwest guys and growing up in Indiana, it's like I lived in the motorcycle magazines, like so many of us working on flunking out of high school and wishing that I had Dale Spangler like speed. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was blessed with Jason Gerald's speed, which was not very quick. So they always say, like, you know, you make your own luck. But I definitely feel like I got lucky and had an opportunity to move out to California and work for Fox Racing. I had to take that chance. I had never been out to California. And that was like a dream come true, walking through the doors of Fox. And that was my my university of. And one thing led to another, and I ended up at, at Hammerhead and SoCal to work for MSR Hard Parts. And, and it's just like that building of your own little internal resume. I had always wanted to own my own company. I just never had really hadn't decided on what that was going to be. And when the MSR Hard Parts brand went away and I found myself unemployed for the first time, it was kind of like that was like that little lightning bolt moment that had hit me that it was kind of by virtue of working under the same roof as you know, a little bit is like working with Pro Taper. At the time, the Mag Group owned Renthal, so I always liked what those guys were doing. I mean, it was, who couldn't be a big Renthal fan? But at the same time, the way that it was positioning MSR hard parts to be was rather than just be this just sort of faceless hard parts brand. Like they were three little letters that still stood for something. MSR stood for Malcolm Smith Racing, and we have this living legend who was so awesome and smiley and all things moto. That's what I was trying to kind of kind of really build into, at least on the MSR hard part side of stuff and brought back in his name. And one of my like, you know, one of my like things that I was trying to always put, get through when it came to like with the marketing was like, get the helmets off. I don't need another photo of somebody like riding a motorcycle. That's all fine and dandy. But having the pictures of like people with their helmets off and smiling and the awesome part of like sitting like, like on a tailgate and BSing about moto is, is about as much fun as the riding itself sometimes. So again, when the, the MSR thing went away and I had landed on what it was going to be for a product mix and my son's name is Phoenix. That's where the name came from. Very cool. And it was just like, I am going to do what we were building with MSR that is going to like come into Phoenix handlebars. And that's going to be like about all people that moto, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just a handlebar brand. But my thing is, is we're a small little industry. And if it's what I can do to deliver some happiness on the other end, whether it be it like through advertising or a box of like 
bars showing up to your, you know, on your doorstep and it gets you jazzed to like, want to like mount them up and go moto this weekend. And it all started with a box that had a logo on the outside and all that stuff. it's like, then I've done my part. If the bars like got you that much more jazz that you're like, holy smokes, I can't wait to get these on. I've got to go moto. Then that's my win. Good for the industry. Definitely. Yeah. And that's that personal touch you feel when I go to the website and I just can understand your point of view and you're really up against some behemoths in the industry. I hope you know that. <laughs> Rental and ProTaper are two big, uh, two big brands, but. Uh, yeah. Coke, Coke and Pepsi. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, kudos. Kudos to you for choosing that segment. But, um, you know, it's just an impressive website. Yeah, thanks, man. I went there and I took the handlebar online test and really enjoyed the, to me, it's the simplicity of figuring out handlebars because for a newcomer to the sport, if you got into motocross and tried to figure out which bar bend to buy, you would be so confused after five minutes of poking around because what does, I don't want to pick on the other brands, but what's a McGrath bend and what's a CR high or a CR low? You've broken that down, I think, and done a pretty good job of conveying it. If you're 21, did you ever even see McGrath race? Exactly. You know? So, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, obviously that was that was the catalyst for it. It was like when I ordered some Renthal mountain bike handlebars. And it was, and it was really simple. And I was like, hmm, you know, I was I was doing a MSR bar at the time, and so I was kind of looking at some stuff there, and I was using the Pro Taper, you know, sales, and and it was all doing that same thing. I was trying to whittle it down to like, let's just do like five bins. I don't think we need to have the the whole gamut of everything. But even once you get past that, it's like you find a width that you are like you're satisfied with, and then the height is like not anywhere near where you wanted to be. So now you find something where the width and the height kind of like match up, but then the suite might be really far off. And and trying to pull all that together was, you know, I, I feel like is really daunting and not just for a beginner. Like, I mean, I don't really market research in me if like don't go together hand in hand, but I would still reach out to a few friends. I'm like, what bar are you running? And the answer so many times is like, uh, I was like, perfect. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> you know, you don't know. And so it's like, all right, if you give somebody, you know, the idea was just like, let's create a bend where the width and the sweep are going to satisfy, you know, the 90% of us that, that aren't going to necessarily like be able to like feel those nuances. Like, you can like, you know, like if you have Dale Spangler speed, yeah, maybe two, two millimeters here, there's going to be like, holy moly, this, I, this is unrideable. But I think for the vast, I could ride with bent bars. No problem. <laughs> you know what, man? That, and that's what was so funny. I had so many people like who would be like, dude, I'm like riding on bars. They're, they're bent. And I'm like, you, thanks. You're proving my point. You adapted. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that, like, say we ever set out to just make a, like, who cares bend. It was like, no, no, no. It was like, I knew what sold. I knew what sold well. Um, obviously, I had that knowledge. So that was kind of the whole, like, you know, try to come in and get something that was going to to satisfy most people and make it a lot simpler. Hence the... A guy that helped me come up with just when we came up with the tagline, simply moto, you know, it was no, I think like one of the things that ends up being our, our detriment is because we've made it so simple that I think like you also come off like not looking like a technical brand, like where that stuff didn't matter. That's the part where, you know, like you said, we're up against some big names. We're up against 40 years worth of world championships and people asking for their bar by name and trying to build that, that trust is awfully hard, but Again, it's been a solid five years, and and we're still plugging along quite nicely. So I think we could say there's there's a there's a nice tipping point that's probably only ten to fifteen, maybe even twenty years away. Yeah, no doubt you're on your way, and 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 I think you've got a good team there. I'd like you to maybe talk about uh, you got a Miles. Is it Shug? Is that how you pronounce Miles' name? Shug, yeah, Shug. Miles. And Kyle James is uh, Rider Sport. So. He's kind of putting that message out to the market for you, right? Dude, I'm glad that you like brought him up because, you know, for so long it was, you know, you're a one dude operation and my wife looked like she had marbles in her eyes when I would be talking to her about handlebars. You're just clamoring on anybody that wants to listen. And when I uh, had brought on Miles, you know, it's like he he's a moto head. He was you know, relatively new to the industry, but that's what's so exciting. And part of the reason why with my motorcycle industry jobs, like, part of my life. That's one of the things that I was trying to look at was like, could I be able to give somebody that ability to live this like little dream with me? And Dale knows it's like, I'm, I live a dream life. You know, it's like, I know that I do because again, it's just, I always kind of jokingly say, I'm just that kid from Indiana that 
you know, never would have thought that it was going to like go like this. And I know I'm really lucky. I, mean, I, re- I rode trail riding with Gary Jones on, on Saturday. And then afterwards sat there with like Rex Staten, Rick Dowdy and, and Ty Davis just BSing like with a, a barbecue, like lunch. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. You're right in that perfect spot too, where you like, you, I think I saw where you went to the, you know, Red Bull straight rhythm and <laughs> yeah. you were able to go to the San Diego Supercross and Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And you're just right in the middle of it, you know, to where you're able to you know, be absorbed in that. Like you said, you're living it every day, you know, like you're just living moto, living the moto life. Yeah. And that was, and when Miles came on, it's like, he just became like such a sounding board. He's based out of Arizona and we spend a lot of time on the phone and always just trying to like uncover, like, how do you bring that awareness and build that trust? And then one thing led to another, like on on a way to uh, a Glenn Helen ride. And I, I had this sort of super fan customer and Kyle James who bought multiple sets of bars paid retail raced flat track and i decided to like reach out to him and ask him if like he'd be interested in doing some of the writer support and i mean i you know you could hear the excitement through the through the phone and he's based out of memphis can races you know flat track but grew up racing moto and and it's just like they're just so passionate like with me and that's one of the things that i'm it was always important on my side i mean i think everybody knows i wear a lot of my passion on my sleeve and I wanted I wanted people to be a part of the this brand that like shared that, and I got super duper lucky with those two. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So what I'm curious to know is like, I mean, as this continues to grow, obviously now you have employees, went from the one-man show. I mean, what are your ultimate goals with this, you know, more long-term goals? Do you think it's something to where you want to look for like a distributor to f- eventually pick up the brand or is it just going to maybe sell it to another brand or is it just uh, keep doing what you're doing for as long as you can? When I named it and called it Phoenix Handlebars, my idea was I wanted to be own that, own that control group, right? So there's so much room still to grow like, like in the handlebar world. Uh, all the controls when you look at it we have a pretty basic offering like still today and if you saw my visual line list it's like no we got we got a lot of ways to go i mean the e-bike market being so strong it's like you know it'd be nice to have a mountain bike bar like you know come down the pipeline at, at some point once once you know the budget allows a lot of room for growth and grips and levers and hand guards and all that stuff so when i when i always close my eyes i see it being you know a brand that just you know is everything to the control segment I mean, obviously like flat track, you know, adventure bike bars, all that stuff would be, would be super exciting. Thinking about like the future of distribution, that's, um, I mean, like, obviously we both have worked in this industry for a long time and you may, may or may not be familiar with some of the distributors there, Dale. Yeah, a couple of them. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I don't think they want any part of me like today anyways, but I don't know that I want any part of that either. It's like, you know, like being able to control your own message and what's the future for retail. I mean, I always want to be supportive of our dealer channel. I always want to. I just want dealers to also be supportive of themselves. And sometimes I don't see that. You know, it's like part of the thing, like trying to create, I've got a cool display downstairs and this this piece that we made. So that like as the bars are like sitting in a dealership, and even if there's not a passionate Jason Gerald behind that parts counter that's going to come out and help a customer, I want the customer to be able to like figure out what bars they need sitting there in front of the the bar display i mean because i still feel like that's still that challenge that's when i was coming up with it the one question i couldn't answer for anybody still easily was well this is awesome what bars do you think i need and it wasn't until we kind of came up with that that quiz that at least i felt like that helped kind of get people to think about the questions because just if you're a motocrosser or you're a dual sport rider you're gonna have completely different needs you know whether you're six one or five six you know, and you're one of those, but with a different segment of writing, you know, genre, it's like you're going to have completely different needs. And so the quiz kind of helped 
at least I think like get people to think about that. And it's not like it's perfect, but I feel like it's at least a guide, you know, at least a little guiding force. And so kind of when I came up with the display piece was a, a little QR code that allowed people to maybe be able to quickly hop on and, and take that quiz. And what's it take like 15, 20 seconds and be able to get that answer while sitting in front of the, the display at the dealership and make their own, hopefully make their own choice without needing to go grab somebody from parts. Yeah, I love it. Work smarter, not harder, right? Just make it easier where it's turnkey. Someone walks into a dealership. I mean, we all have been there. We walk into a dealership and it's like a ghost town sometimes where it's like, does anybody work here? You know, it's unfortunately, that's <laughs> still how it is sometimes in a lot of dealers. You end up walking around and kind of, you know, helping yourself. And so to be able to have something like that, a point of purchase display is, seems like it'd be pretty helpful. And then that translates to your website because it seems like everything is really easy there as well. Um, I mean, I think your your brand from to me just is summed up really well in this in this little quote. I think that you came up with. Our passion is growing this sport we love so much. Keep it fun and keep on motoring. I just feel like that just embodies your your brand. I don't know. It seems like you're you're doing well with it, and Thanks. I definitely hope to see you keep going and growing this thing, man. I love love uh, you know seeing the underdog coming up and you know doing well against these bigger bigger brands. I appreciate it. you know like I was I was at a motocross action ride day the other day and johnny jump from odi was over there and we were talking and and you know there's no animosity to me with like any of those brands we're again i always say this with everybody with what i do with mij and, and phoenix Hunterbus, we're still a small fragile industry i mean i see it all the time i mean thankfully with the things that i i get to see with mij you know it gives me a lot of insight you know i never try to bad mouth anybody because it's like man we're all just kind of fighting for the scraps of people's uh you know disposable income and you know, I just need everybody to be strong. I hope that like I'm I'm here for years to come with this brand. I do try to say we like to grow the industry, but I mean, really, by and large, I just don't want anybody to leave. And not only do you lose that one person who went to the to the track, most likely that it meant that their buddies didn't go to the track either. So that track just lost upwards of not just twenty five dollars entry, but maybe fifty or seventy five. I don't want that to happen. I'm not good at golf, and I don't want to play golf. Yeah, me either. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about your other half of your, I don't know if it's half, but you know, like of your day, typical day with motorcycle industry jobs and, you know, the job market in general, like what's your, uh, you know, kind of take on the the outlook of the job market at the moment in power sports, because it seems like I'm seeing your posts daily on LinkedIn and other places where it seems like there's a lot of companies looking for people out there. So if there's listeners out there that want to get into the power sports industries, now it could be a good time. It's in a great time. There's so much stuff that's getting posted. I mean, the other day, there's a Kawasaki Team Green Technician job. You know, we grew up in a period where, I mean, one, that nothing like MIJ existed. Alex, Alex Balon, who started this almost nearly 20 years ago, even back then, you might not have probably didn't need to ever post a job like a Team Green Technician. But nowadays, you know, techs are hard to find and even Kawasaki's like like putting the feelers out there with you know, and we love seeing it because obviously those are those are super fun and exciting jobs to get on our website because they they bring eyeballs over to see all the other stuff. The bread and butter of of our MIJ business are the dealers. You know, there's upwards of I think like close to ten thousand dealers in the U.S. and and most of them are looking. Unfortunately, most of them are looking for service techs, which again are very hard to find. Like like right now, which. I'm always trying to guide them along, give them advice, telling them it's like, hey, look, unfortunately, most of the techs aren't sitting at home on their couch watching Ellen. They're probably employed. So we have to work, you know, on their side, they have to be a little bit like more clever about how they write job descriptions. You know, I always encourage people to like, could you please put like a salary range in there? They don't, you know, and then the thing is, is that effort that's put in there just always bumps me out because my it's going to be hard. And I don't like those things that reflect bad on MIJ, that if you don't find somebody that, you know, you didn't do your part. And it's like, well, we did. You know, again, I can't magically make people, you know, show up in that regard. So it's like, we try to, we try to really like help them along and show them like ways to be able to, to make it more enticing. But yeah, as a, as a, as a whole, the, the industry's, it's not in a bad place. It's not an amazing place. Obviously, they, everybody went hog wild during the COVID period. And it's like you couldn't get inventory fast enough. And we needed more people and people were allowed to work from home. And now things have like settled back down. But there's still a ton of like great remote positions that keep popping up. And Yes, please. <laughs> just, you know, good jobs like all in all. I mean, I, I, I get surprised every day at like some of the cool stuff that I see go up. For those that like want to work in this industry, there's a lot of good stuff out there for you. 
Yeah, we have, we've often talked about that subject about the, the COVID bubble and when is it going to burst, but it seems like it's still steaming along. Maybe not, like you said, as much, but it's still going. But uh, I want to ask you, I mean, as the industry as a whole is based in that entrepreneurial spirit, and your company is a good example of that. You know, people who just, you know, came up with an idea and, and, and ran with it. Do you see that kind of evolving in your hiring practices? Are you seeing less of the entrepreneurial type companies and more shifting towards these corporate entities that we've seen roll into the power sports world in the last, you know, four or five years? Do you see any kind of shift or change? I'm going to be maybe a little negative. I don't like seeing like some of the companies that I loved so much like no longer be family owned. That always makes me sad. I mean, the first 12 years of me working, I always say on this side of the counter was for Fox Racing. Obviously, I had an affinity for that brand. That's why I moved from Indiana to be a part of it. And, you know, for Greg and Pete and Scott, for them to not be involved in it, you know, anymore, always just, it just, you know, makes me sad. It's like, obviously, anybody who works over at Fox is still stoked. They get to work for a cool company. But but for me, I, I, I was a part of that family environment. And, you know, now what we're seeing with like WPS and with Craig Shoemaker leaving and, and now they're owned by I'm not I'm not sure who. It's just like, you know, that stuff like is is interesting. I mean, it's cool that people like see like value in our in our industry, but then I just always liked it being I like those old family owned companies, I think are super cool. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who like do like the goggle and the goggle company and you look at somebody like me with like Phoenix handlebars trying to be that entrepreneur type, but definitely see a lot of that stuff popping up, but not so many like people hiring as much for it because I think they're like me where they're just um trying to be scrappy about how they go about things. I don't know that I answered your question properly there, Dave. Sorry. No, it's, that's fine. I, I, it's just an observation type of a question because Dale and I have hit on this subject many times. And we both, I don't want to use the word victim, but we've both been involved with companies that have gone that direction. And I've seen a shift in the mindset of ownership and you know leadership in those companies change. And, uh, and I'm kind of like you, I kind of pine for the the more entrepreneurial type approach to our our business because that's that's what our industry seems to gravitate from versus the the more corporate approach to how you do business. They're both important. You got to make money and you got to do it responsibly, but you know, it kind of sometimes sucks the fun out of it for lack of a better term. And I don't know if you agree with that or don't agree with that, but uh, that's my observation. I started my own company. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of preaching to the choir and, and, and myself. I left that environment to work for a very similar situation. So I went to a family-owned business that is very similar to what you're doing. And it's a lot more grassroots and it's a lot better feeling when I walk in the office every morning and, and go to serve the industry. Well, during the COVID period, like when at the very beginning, like when so many people were kind of looking to do something new and and I got a lot of phone calls through the MIJ site or people discovering, you know, finding my jobs like on LinkedIn because I'm always posting them up there. And people would be like, hey, you know, how do I get in the motorcycle industry? And again, I say years, I'll say over and over, I've lived a lifetime of dreams. That would be like, you know, you could do six podcasts worth of my stories. But um you know, but one of the things I was trying to tell people is that whole sort of talking them out of, you know, it's like working like, you know, in something that you're passionate about, be careful. But at the same time, I said, I'm here to tell you how much I love it. So I like to just kind of get that part out. It's like, well, we're still, you know, we're a small industry. We tend to not pay great, not bad. It's just, you know, it's like, say, don't ever compare it to like whatever you might be making like in, you know, in a comparable industry. We have ambiguous job titles and we wear lots of hats and we kind of like tend to like, you know, fly by the seat of our pants and, and all that stuff. And if, if you can get like over all that and accept that that's part of the charm of what we do, it's freaking awesome. You know, it's like I used to like always point that out at like, you know, Fox. I'm like, dude, nothing to get that worked up about. We're selling dirt pulse. We're not curing cancer here, folks. It's like, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> exactly. We're selling fun stuff. And I tell everybody that we're, we're selling fun stuff. I always had this saying that uh, it's the industry we love, but it doesn't love us back. <laughs> and that's usually from a financial perspective. But uh, definitely it's uh, we, we love what we do. We sell fun. Nobody needs what we sell, but uh, we sure sell a lot of it anyway. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a I'm a rah rah cheerleader for it. That's for sure. You know, but it's like, 
I, and I know that not everybody's going to get lucky enough to get to go do some of the cool things that I've done, but it mean, but I started off doing grunt work, you know, worked in a motorcycle shop like so many, which is part of the thing that I try to encourage people to do. If you want to get started in the industry more when you're young and you don't have all the mortgage and stuff to pay for it, but it's a, that's a great time to like just start working in a shop and, you know, hone your skills there, get to know the like local sales reps and, and develop like those relationships. And you never know. Next thing you know, it's like that rep, moves on and you fall into that role from a parts kid to a sales rep for whoever one thing leads to another and you like move up to regional then sales manager you know mine didn't quite work out like that but i mean it was it was a little bit it was just a parts kid who moved to california to become an inside sales rep at fox and tried to do good work one thing led to another they brought me upstairs to be a product developer didn't even know what a product developer did which I guess it shows how dumb those guys were to have dragged me up there. So, but it was a dream. Now I get to go see like what happened on the other side of the, of the curtain at the wizard of Oz. And you got all those things shaped me to be where, where I get to be today talking to you guys. I have this theory because all of us, you know, Dave's from the Midwest too. Like we both grew up in the same area, but with all of us being from the Midwest, I have this kind of like this theory that the Midwest mentality is you know, you kind of let your actions, you know, speak louder than your words. You, you're kind of more humble. Like I think of like racers like Jeff Stanton and Mike LaRocco and Ryan Dungey. Like they, they're not like super, super shiny, like out there in the public eye as much, but they performed on the track. And so I kind of look at you, Jason, I'm like, you kind of seemed like you came from that same mold. You're, you're a humble down to earth guy, but you're, you're doing good things for the sport. So what, what are your thoughts on that, though? Do you, have you kind of ever thought about that sort of Midwest mentality that we all have that we're, we're sort of more quiet and humble, but let our actions speak on the track? Or Giving me compliments like that makes me think that I like owe you 20 bucks or something like when we get off here that I'm supposed to Venmo you for saying such nice things. I think you do, actually. But. Um, this isn't a pay program, is it? Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say it, but because I always feel like I'm always – because I have so many of these darn stories – I tell my friends and stuff that I always feel like it, I, I mean, my wife even points it out that it's like, you know, like that I'm bragging. Like I always say like, Hey, I'm not trying to brag. She goes, I don't think anybody takes that you're bragging. And I'm like, no, my stories are more because I'm like, they're little pinch me moments for me that, you know, if I've gotten lucky enough and went out to Ricky Carmichael's house when we were testing the Foss instinct boot or, you know, and I'll tell these stories of, of just all the little like things that I've gotten to do and, and, uh, yeah, so I think like that when, you know, I'm always telling them it's, it's me just going, Hey, I could have real easily just been working like, you know, like clamoring to get off the third shift at the Walmart distribution center, you know, like <laughs> in Greencastle, Indiana, that could have been my path. You know, it wasn't exactly college material. I did go to Purdue briefly, you know, it wasn't for me. And I ended up in a shop and working for shops and, I guess it was, you know, a lot of it, like treating people good. So it's, it's part of the thing, like what I do with on the MIJ side of things is, is always thinking it's like, there is some Jason Gerald that's out there that, you know, would like give like, you know, like, like eight quarts of blood to like be like sitting in the chair that I sit in and get to do the things that I do. Well, keep up the good work on both sides, you know, on MIJ and with Phoenix Handlebars. And I think I understand, you know, like as we wrap this up, I wanted to give you some time to kind of point out where people can go find your MIJ and Phoenix Handlebars. But I also understand that didn't MIJ also just launch a separate V-Twin job site that's catered towards uh, Harley-type jobs? Sure did, man. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, so during the summer, we we brought uh, HarleyJobs.com to just be V twin centric. As you know, like the Harley stores have a lot more employees. It's not that we don't want them to live like on the MIJ site. Actually, they'll continue to, but it just kind of was like in, in terms of being able to do some like different marketing, get other people involved. People like Jeff Holt from V twin visionary, these people who will have a good audience and, and be able to help out, you know, that segment. It's still getting ramped up, um, but it's doing awesome. We don't market to like get more employers. That sort of happens naturally. All of our marketing dollars are generally spent like trying to do SEO, like in advertising, anything to get more in front of more job seekers. That's where doing a show like this is so helpful. It's like if people, you know, discover it and tell their friends, it's like, wow, did you not? Know, did you know about this? Check out these cool jobs. And so on motorcycle industry jobs, we uh, have a really simple website, motorcycleindustryjobs.com. It's always free to put a resume up there. So 
you don't have to like even even if you have a job it's like just put that you're not looking at, in your profile but it's a good thing to keep an eye on it's, it's you know it's free to do so and then phoenix handlebars also a simple website phoenixhandlebars.com awesome well keep up the good work jason and uh Really appreciate your time today. And uh, again, listeners out there for looking to get into the power sports industry, definitely check out Motorcycle Industry Jobs and the new Harley Jobs. So, uh, yeah, check those out. And Jason, really appreciate your time today and uh, all the best with everything going forward. Thanks, guys. enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.